Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. To find out more about Dream Talk Radio, visit my website at anhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L dot org. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Thursday morning, 9 o'clock, time for Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Ann Hill. Today and every other Thursday so far for the last almost two years um, with a really uh, great conversation today. And I'm going to be speaking on the phone with Kelly Bulkley, who is, uh, he teaches at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. He is a dream researcher and a prolific writer, um, mostly focusing on the interplay of psychology and spirituality and culture in dreaming. And I'll just list, Kelly, I know it's sort of, um, well, you had to go and write all those books, so I have to read many of the titles. So It's uh, Dreaming Beyond Death, A Guide to Pre-Death Dreams and Visions, Among All These Dreamers, Essays on Dreaming and Modern Society, Dreams of Healing, Transforming Nightmares and Divisions of Hope, Dreaming in the World's Religions, A Comparative History, um, American Dreamers, What Dreams Tell Us About the Political Psychology of Conservatives, Liberals, and Everyone Else, and most recently, Dreaming in Christianity and Islam, Culture, Conflict, and Creativity. Kelly Bulkley, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, it's a great pleasure. So um, you've just come out with this book um, on Christianity and Islam and dreaming traditions, and I'd love to start with that material and just... Uh, maybe you can kind of give us a broad uh, background in the, the similarities and differences and where dreams come into play in both religions. Oh, sure. Well, uh, this this project has been a real education for me, uh, and, and hopefully for uh, the readers of, of the book, they'll, they'll appreciate it as well. It, it originated uh, with a panel session at, I think it was the 2005 um, International Association for the Study of Dreams conference uh, that was here in Berkeley, and there was a panel of uh, uh, scholars from two of them from Turkey, from the University of Istanbul, and one of them from uh, Malaysia, from uh, the International Islamic right. University in, in Malaysia, and they had come all the way to Berkeley uh, to share their research on dreams in a in a Muslim context, and uh, some of us had already been working in that area or having some conversations around role of dreams in Islam, and, and, and to have these three scholars, uh, you know, come and, 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 you know, engage in this really exciting dialogue with us here in Berkeley, uh, got the ball rolling, and, and so uh, my co-editors on the book, uh, Kate Adams uh, from England, and, and Patricia Davis, who's a, a graduate student here at uh, the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, they came up with the idea that the three of us would edit a book where we would include those uh, those scholars, their work, and then some other people we knew who were working on dreams in Islam, and then people who were working on dreams in, in Christianity and, and sort of the historical and theological dimensions of uh, dreams in that tradition. And, and to, you know, obviously, given the, the global context and these two faith traditions right. uh, uh, coming to blows over all sorts of uh, issues, we, we felt that the, the time was ripe for. Uh, book that would show how, at least on this one topic of dreams, uh, Muslims and Christians actually share a lot of similarities and a lot of similar uh, uh, ideas and beliefs and practices. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the the genesis of it all. You know, I remember being at that panel uh, at that Berkeley conference, or maybe was it Boston? I don't remember. Maybe it was Berkeley. Anyway, you would know better than I. And I just remember you know, watching these gentlemen up there on stage and thinking, number one, there must be this huge culture shock coming from Malaysia to Berkeley, um, or from Turkey to Berkeley. And then being in, number two, being in this 
a conference where there's people talking about past life dreaming and there's people, to, you know, all sorts of stuff. What I, I mean, and they were very, they were uh, all three of them sort of pretty buttoned down and very professional. And so I was wondering, gosh, I, I wonder what they're thinking of all this. How could, <laughs> and, and how are they, I mean, it, I, it just seemed like that, you know, we didn't really get a glimpse too much of the politics behind them even being able to show up at an international dream conference, but that whole level of the drama fascinated me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point, and it's what got us thinking that, that, that we really should, you know, honor the, the courage that they showed and and, and I, I've got I've gotten to know them a little bit and yes they come from uh, you know schools where they where where Islam is kind of the, the foundational uh, you know uh, set of ideas for the whole educational system and and so yes as as most people are who study dreams you know even even these gentlemen from from their Muslim context they're kind of you know, on the margins, they're they're somewhat radical and 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 a little bit out there for studying something like dreams. The interesting thing, though, and and, and this is what really uh, got me got me so excited about pursuing this further, is that uh, those three gentlemen in particular, and then the other scholars from uh, people who are writing chapters about Islam, they all make a very compelling case that you know, using the best standards of uh, Muslim reasoning and, and theology, the dreams have a very important place in the faith tradition. So if, mm-hmm. you know, if there was a, a passage in the Quran, for example, that said, you know, pay no attention to dreams, we would never be having the conversation, right? Because no Muslim right. would, would, would touch it. But in fact, there's passages in the Quran and in the, the hadiths, which are the, the, the sayings of the prophet that are also very uh, authoritative in Muslim context. Lots of material in those sources indicating that, that, that paying attention to dreams, listening to dreams, is part of being a good Muslim. It's part of, you know, mm-hmm. regular Muslim life. And so, on the one hand, these, these, these you know, the, the gentlemen who came to the ISD conference were, were kind of, you know, radical in, in, in their, uh, you know, coming as far as they did to, you know, talk to us about dreams. But on the other hand, they're, they're trying within their own tradition to argue that, you know, this is not something crazy, and just because Freud said something or other about dreams, that doesn't mean that Muslims shouldn't pay close attention to their own uh, teachings about about this, you know, universal human phenomenon. Yes, and I it made me wonder also just how much, um, and I'm sh- I'm assuming that Islam is similar to Christianity and other religions in that it, it you know you go you have the full spectrum of yeah. uh, uh, you know mosques or congregations that really would have nothing to do with it you know the more fundamentalist and the more the more accepting uh, you know ends of the spectrum. But it made me wonder how much that is affecting or part of the conversation in Islam in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and in, 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 you know I think we're still trying to figure that out. I mean that's an mm-hmm. excellent question because we see that here in, in in a Western context that there's you know gradations of how much people are you know willing to to, to look into this. And it the one thing I I, I can say is that um, for better and for worse in Muslim context. Uh, paying attention to dreams, reflecting on dreams and such, is most closely associated with, with Sufism, which is kind of the mm-hmm. mystical, uh, more experiential uh, uh, branch of Islamic life, and and some of the more morally uh, uh, straight-laced, uh, fundamentalist-type Muslims, you know, are kind of nervous about Sufis anyway, and so if Sufis are interested in dreams, well, then dreams get kind of, you know, tainted by association with Sufism. So within the Muslim world, as I understand it, there is, uh, you know, some sense that, that paying attention to things like dreams, like, you know, anything that involves, you know, altered states of consciousness, uh, you know, unusual mind-body practices and such, Sufis tend to be the ones in their, in their right. broader community who are interested in those things, and thus that's, that seems to be where their debates, uh, at least one area where they have uh-huh. debates. So, yeah, interesting question. And and on the other hand, um, I, it was probably from something that you wrote, or, but something, uh, or maybe it was in the journal, anyway, about uh, how um, 
the 9-11 terrorists actually used dreams or they were worried that that their dreams would sort of leak into the collective unconscious and that they had to really be the you know the they were they were um looking to dreams for guidance in this action that they took uh, on the the towers and the pentagon and on, on the other hand they were worried that other people might tap into their plan through dreams is that am i getting yeah, this right yeah no it's it's it was it's one of the the really you know macabre uh Footnotes to the to the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks is that in I believe is December of that year, December of 2001. So just a, a you know yeah. several months after the the attack on New York and Washington D.C., there was a video that surfaced of Osama bin Laden talking about the uh, the attack with some of his followers, and and the media coverage was oh look how crazy they are, and you know he's such an evil guy, and what was kind of overlooked was how about half of that, I recall, it was a 20-minute video, about half of it was spent on discussing dreams. They, Osama bin Laden and his wow. followers were talking about the dreams that some of the people in their group were having before the attack that seemed to, in their perception, um, seemed to anticipate aspects of, you know, either the flying or, like, something mm-hmm. exploding or people cheering. And... According to this, this videotape, Osama bin Laden at one point said he had to tell people to stop talking about their dreams, to stop paying attention to those dreams, because he was, as you say, he was worried that the plot would somehow leak out because of these kind of, you know, precognitive anticipatory right. dreams. And in the, 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 the book I edited, uh, I think it was Jeremy Taylor, who writes a chapter, talks about that um, and points out, I think, accurately that right there um osama bin laden shows his you know sort of non-muslim uh, uh authority or approach in, because no you know muslim who uh. listens closely to the and, and tries to follow the words of muhammad would ever tell people not to listen to their dreams that's that's a very non-muslim thing to do and yet in this in this video we see osama bin laden because you know he's got this 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 plot he's putting together, uh, dreams become a threat to that. So yeah, we, you know, these are the kinds of things that when the more we learn about them, the more we realize, wow, there's there's this whole dreaming conversation that that gets woven into a lot of the the the, the behavior of people all around the world in all all circumstances. It it really is fascinating. And between the fundamentalists of Al Qaeda and the Sufis, man, there's a there's a wide swath of people. You know, that's yeah. Well, another, another chapter in the book is by um, a, a British anthropologist named Ian Edgar, mm-hmm. uh, who has done some field work in Pakistan, uh, uh, looking into the, uh, the, the, the practices and the ideologies of uh, radical Taliban Muslims. And interestingly, in, in many of those circles, dreams are a powerful source of insight and inspiration and guidance. Uh, which raises the question, you know, again, of what, what, uh, you know, we in the West, in particular those of us who value dreams and put a lot of emphasis on them, this this research by Ian Edgar and others really, I think, forces us to ask the question: Well, are all dreams for for the good? <laughs> you right, know, are right. all dreams guiding us towards health and wholeness? To use exactly. A from Jeremy, uh, or or not necessarily, or but but how do we how do we deal with the fact that People we consider, you know, monstrous in their in their behavior, also draw inspiration from their dreams. What 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 yes. do we? How do we think about that? How d- that's one of the one of the issues that gets raised in the book. Yeah. Well, I I think that's an excellent point. I mean, boy. You, the, I, to me, that is sort of the dirty little secret of the human potential movement. <laughs> exactly. You know, because humans have a lot of different potentials. And, uh, you know, you could you could be extremely gifted in something and be as as morally uh, grounded as a toddler and not, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like wander around the world causing destruction. And st- yeah. Yeah. So well, this is and, and this is the I, I think one of the kind of the take home messages from from the book and the research that we did to put it together was that both Muslims and Christians and Christians have their own issues along these lines as well. Both traditions put just just huge emphasis on they use different terms, but the Christian term is discernment, uh-huh. which is basically kind of your question: How do you tell? How do you tell if a dream is 
you know, a heaven-sent heaven uh, inspiration or, you know, a demonic temptation? How do, you, how do you know if, you know, the dream is guiding you to do something that really is part of God's plan or whatever, however you're conceiving that, right. or if it's just some personal conflict in your own unconscious business that's, that, that, that you're misinterpreting? And both, both Islam and Christianity really struggle with that. And I think you're right. It's kind of the, 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 the deep, dark, you know, question that, 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 that we all struggle with. How do right. you, how do you tell? How do you, how do you make that distinction? Right. Let's talk about Christianity, uh, because there are some really interesting references to dreams in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And how do you find, uh, in, in your book, which I have not yet seen, do you uh, talk about both you know, biblical references and how that that is in understood and interpreted in the modern day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the idea with both there's three sections in the book. There's a, a section on just on Christianity, then a section just on Islam, and then a section looking at, at specific aspects of both traditions, kind mm-hmm. of comparative. And through the book, it's sort of from his, historical context up into the present. And so, yeah, so in, in, in Christianity and in Islam, I mean, they both, they both draw upon the same sacred text. You know, they both draw upon the, the, the Hebrew Bible, with what Christians call the Old Testament. They're, you know, quoted passages of, of Joseph being in the Pharaoh's prison and having those dreams. That's quoted in the Quran. That's, that's in the Quran. And wow. So both, both Muslims and Christians draw upon those early sources. A, a difference is that with, with Christianity, there's no, in the Gospels anyway, there's no reference to Jesus himself ever dreaming or talking about dreams. Now, we don't know if that means that he never did dream and he never did talk about dreams, or if what ended up getting into the, the four Gospels that became the New Testament just didn't include any of that. You know, that's, that's sort of, yeah. we may never know that. But as a, as a result, in Christianity, there's always been a little bit less uh, uh, what a, a justification or authority for drawing upon dreams because it's, uh-huh. you know with Muslims they can say well Muhammad had dreams he asked his followers to tell them about his dreams right. or about their dreams nothing quite comparable in Christianity so there's a little bit less although there are the dreams around Jesus' birth in, in the first couple of books of Matthew there's you know uh, St. Paul had a couple of dreams that are mentioned in the book of Acts um, plenty of Christian uh Early Christians, in particular, in the early uh, centuries of the, the, you know, the movement right after uh, Jesus' death, the first couple hundred years, plenty of, of Christians were converted because of their dreams. So it, right. in, in Christianity, there's a bit more, um, I don't know, amb- ambivalence uh-huh. about about dreaming, and a, a little bit more ambivalence about what, uh, you know, that that question of are, are dreams coming from God or are they you know, just temptations. Um, right. So that's, that's yeah. And, and, and then with Christianity, too, the, the um, emphasis, particularly in sort of the, what are called the Desert Fathers, their emphasis on chastity and on ascetic control of particularly sexual impulses, you know, that, of course, makes dreams kind of problematic because dreams... Yeah, that would be difficult. Dream, but a lot of dreams have some degree of sexual content that... Uh, you know, has made Christian theologians uncomfortable, shall we say, <laughs> over over the centuries. And is that something that is shared in Islam? The this uh, you know, because the body is de-emphasized or sort of shunned as a kind of an unclean vessel. Are dreams that are, have you know sexual content or arousal in them? Are they somehow uh, from the devil? Yeah, there's there's a little bit of that, but not as much as. Um, as there is in Christianity, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not quite sure if that's just the limits of my research yeah. uh, that I haven't found it in Islam, or if it's the, a, a genuine difference in Islam. But they seem Islam generally seems less uh, anxious around those sorts of issues than than do Christians. And the same, you know, for what it's worth, a bit of research I've done in, in the other direction. You know, Buddhists. Some Buddhists who also affirm chastity as a, as a spiritual ideal, they also struggle with dreams that have a sexual content. Uh-huh. So Islam has, to my knowledge, less emphasis on chastity and on 
sort of you know complete control of one's sexual impulses. So there, that 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 seems to be at this point, as, as I understand it, you know, a definite difference between the two traditions. Uh huh. So it, I guess, what it comes down to in some senses is a typology. Basically, the categories that any religion or social movement uh, put dreams into. Yeah. And it sounds like for both Islam and Christianity, there is a section of dreams, there is a type or a category of dreams that is a direct revelation from from Allah or from God that, that can appear in the dreams, but there are, are limits on, on who can receive those dreams or under what conditions. Is that, is that fairly accurate? Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, that's actually, you know, as, as good a summary as mm-hmm. probably could come up with for, for such vast amounts of, in history, but the, both traditions and, and humans generally, I think, recognize that you know, some dreams just, you know, there's no doubt about it. They just they hit you. And, you know, Jung, Jung called these big dreams. There's different terms for them, but right. both Islam and Christianity recognize that um, sometimes, you know, maybe very rarely, but there are times when, uh, you know, whatever it is the person considers sacred or divine connects with them very powerfully through a dream. Um, there's also a recognition in both traditions that some dreams are just kind of the, you know, the, 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 the byproducts of how the mind and the body work during sleep. And they're not, you know, they may be meaningful and helpful, but they're not, they're not sort of revelatory in that, in that more mystical sense. Right. And then there's lots of, like you say, kind of a whole range of typological possibilities between, and that's where it gets difficult, you know, because people are, again, people are always asking, well, what, uh, you know, which one is it? You know, is this just a human dream? Is it a divine dream? Is it some mix of the two? Right. Uh, you know, and, and I mentioned the, the practice of discernment, which is a kind of a Christian term for, you know, interpretation. And one one way that, that, that Christians, and, and Muslims do this as well, is the, the way they interpret you know, dreams to try to figure out what's going on is to compare them to their scripture, to either the Quran or the New Testament. And, 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 you know, if the dream goes completely against what it says in scripture, then the people are probably less likely to take that dream seriously. If the dream seems to, on the other hand, you know, confirm or shed new light on some aspect of scripture, scripture then the dream is more likely to be believed. The, the the problem with that reasoning and why it doesn't ultimately solve the, solve, you know, answer the question is that, well, you know, we we know that dreams don't always fit our expectations. You know, in fact, we might even make an argument that dreams, you know, their whole point is to kind of challenge our expectations, right. to shake up our waking world way of looking at things. So if if you know Christians and Muslims are trying to make sense of their dreams entirely by comparing them to scripture. Well, if it fits with scripture, I'll, I'll believe it. If it doesn't, then I'm not. Then you're kind of, then why even pay attention to the dreams? Because then you've already got your scripture and, you know, any dream that, that goes against that, you're not going to believe. So then it kind of removes the whole idea of dreams being a valuable source to begin with. So that's that's the, the kind of interpretive muddle, I think, that, that, that many, you know, and I'm not, yes. with no disrespect, I think we're all in that muddle. Well, uh, but, yeah. But Christians and, and, and Muslims, they, you know, they struggle with that like the rest of us. And I, I think that is why I, why Joseph and Daniel were such nimble jugglers, you know, when they were put on the spot and had to interpret dreams. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, no, they, they and, and, and <laughs> Joseph, you know, is a hero in the Quran. I mean, he is, he is, he's the guy, he's the one who knew how to do it, who had the kind of that intuitive sense of what what dreams mean that 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 all Muslims I think and and, and Christians as well who take dreams seriously uh, would like to tap into. So yeah. right. Let's talk a little bit about big dreams. It's, it's such a fascinating subject, and um, I it seems to me, and I'm wondering if this is true, that the more um, well you were you were just talking about when big dreams come in uh, Islam or Christianity, the question, the first question that pops up is, well, does this confirm or conflict with scripture? And so it seems to me that in in religions of the book, 
the, yeah. where there is a written text that is is you know no, nothing shall overcome that. Yeah. There, there's a little bit of a complication there. Yeah, you might say. Well, yeah, yeah and that's that's the challenge, you know, that 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 people who adhere to a you know a faith tradition that centers on a particular text. Yeah. Um, to what you know, this is it's the whole you know debate around fundamentalism. You know, are those words, you know, in that text just fixed in their meaning and, and with no possibility of, you know, sort of new in meanings appearing in light of different contexts or, or you know, or not. And so uh, taking, I, in my view, to take dreams seriously, we have to be open to the possibility that dreams are going to teach us things we didn't know before. And and that does, you know, I, 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 I don't want to shy away from the you know, the way that conflicts with a, a fundamentalist view of, you know, either Islam or Christianity or any other tradition that says, right. well, the truth has been revealed and here it is and everything else is just footnotes. Um, life as a dreaming human being seems to me to be always open-ended and new possibilities and new insights and meanings are always going to emerge because that's the way life is. And so it, it there may, oh, I guess the way to put this is there there may always be a tension between dreams and fundamentalism whatever uh -huh. your fundamentalism is dreaming is going to be kind of a burr under your saddle you know it's going to be a it's going to be a challenge it's going to be a, an annoyance because dreams are always like i said sort of uh you know challenging our our, our waking world status quo it really it reminds me of this my favorite quote from a Wiccan friend of mine who said, "the the best thing about being a polytheist is that when God tells you to assassinate the prime minister, you have somewhere to go for a second opinion." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, it's yeah, you know the the I mentioned Ian Edgar who does the did the field work with with uh, Taliban people in in, in uh, Pakistan and. You know, some of them said, yeah, dreams, you know, we had dreams that told us to go out and do horrible things. Yeah. And hmm, what, do, what, do you, what do you do with that? Where do you go with um, that? If, you, if you've got a view that, you know, dreams are sort of this unmediated vehicle of divine truth, that, that, right. that, that gets us all into trouble really quickly. Very quickly. You're listening to uh, Dream Talk Radio here on Cows. I'm Ann Hill. I'm your host, and I'm talking with Kelly Bulkley on the phone. Uh, you can find out more about Kelly's books and his teaching and uh, articles and tons of stuff on his website, which will soon be back up, at kellybulkley.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y-B-U-L-K-E-L-E-Y.com. So... I think you know your your point that there's always going to be a conflict between fundamentalism and dreams is so interesting and it reminds me of the the conflict that I see sometimes in in anybody it, you know no matter what their what their religion but when you have a big dream there is the first place you go is that it was literally true you know, and because, and I, I, and I think maybe because of the emotional or the psychic impact of that, it was just so, uh, so otherworldly and so kind of out of the blue, we tend to literalize it. And I'm wondering if that is kind of the crux, because it seems to me part of the, the benefit of the grassroots, gra grassroots dream work movement has uh, been this idea that there's multiple meanings. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, that kind of, you know, and you can put it, you know, in terms of polytheism or, or pluralism or, you know, just multiple points of view, multiculturalism, I don't, you know, to, trying to recognize that, that, yeah, there are different ways of looking at the world. And, and dreaming does seem to be a, uh, you know, a strong source of evidence of, the, of that fact that even our own views are not always... Uh, perfectly fixed and settled and, and immutable. And big dreams in particular, uh, you know, big dreams defined as dreams that are highly memorable and, and, and vivid and really stand out among the sort of the ordinary dreams we have, those, those do seem to um, demand people to pay attention. And, and, and for many people, it does seem that the kind of the default response is, oh, well, this must 
predict something is going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. the earth, you know, like you say, there's like that that immediate literal interpretation, which you know, at the, at the, on the one hand, is 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 you know, it's obviously too limited, but is a kind of an initial kind of almost you know fight flight response to a potential danger. Uh-huh. Maybe that's not a bad thing for people to initially you know, react with it. It's like, oh my God, does this, you know, is, is that bad thing going to happen? You know, right. survival-wise, right. you know, sure, pay attention. The problem comes in is if that's the only way you look at it or if you stop there. And and I think, you know, you're you're absolutely right. The, the you know, the glory really of the dream work movement of, of, of people, you know, spreading awareness and, and more understanding of what, what dreams are about, um, not just, you know, in, in therapy contexts or in, you know, sleep labs, but just in regular human life is that that it, it opens up possibilities and, and, and different ways of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And, and again, if you have the, the view that, that, that human nature is, you know, at, at a, you know, the deepest roots are, are you know, dynamic and, and we're always growing and we're, uh, you know, life is a constant... Uh, process of, of, you know, expanding our ways of, you know, understanding ourselves and the world and the cosmos, dreaming becomes a really exciting resource, you know. Yes. So those, those big dreams and that, that literal response, I think, are, are, like you say, I think they're common. It's, 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 it's unfortunate if that's as far as it goes. But sometimes, you know, those big dreams are what kind of launch people forward when they say, yeah. wow, what the heck was that? Where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then if we have enough awareness out there, you know, I, this radio show is a great, great example of that. You know, you put you, you put the seeds of possibility out there of a kind of a more, uh, you know, pluralistic, uh, multi-dimensional point of view, and 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 that that can open things up. Yeah, I mean, in my own life, I've not, I've had some really major, memorable dreams, and I noticed the same thing in myself. Uh, this is really about, this is a, a sort of a collective dream. This is yeah. not just a personal dream. This is a collective dream. And I, I honestly, I just can't move past that. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, I'll just go with it, you know, just, but sort of holding a little place marker, like there may be personal meanings to this dream. There may be other levels of, of meaning to this dream that I'm not uh, able to see right now. And it may be two years later that right. finally something dawns on me that, right, this is actually another level of that dream, and it's taken two years for the the kind of the um, the ripple effect of my first interpretation of it to mellow enough, or maybe time enough time to pass that other yeah. meanings arise. Yeah, well, that's 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 great, and 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 I, I think it's so true. And the you know, then the question is, how do we you know counsel a little more patience? You know, yeah, that, that, that it's not the handy-dandy Insta dream interpretation system is not really helping the cause. It's somehow, no. you know, like like you say, encouraging people to um, sort of be with their dreams as they unfold. And, That's and right. And the meanings and, and, and potentials unfold. Well, I'm wondering if this Christian concept of discernment uh, is applied much to dreams. Do you have, a, can you say more about that? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's applied to it's a general term that, that uh, Christians, many Christians use to uh, talk about efforts through prayer, meditation, whatever, to kind of intuit and get a sense of, of God's presence in, in the world and in their lives. And so it's, it's applied to dreams as just kind of a natural um, extension of that, that, that general idea that what you're doing. And it's... I wouldn't say it's it's real common, and and yet I'm not sure how common it is. It's mm-hmm. in in Christianity and and I think in Islam and in many traditions, many you know, might be a broader social phenomenon. The people kind of at the top of the social hierarchy, the power structure. Yeah. You know, in the case of Christianity, the priests and ministers and such tend to be less interested in dreams and such because. You know that's just that's complicated stuff. They don't they're not really experts, and it kind of complicates things. And yet, the people themselves, you know, sort of like you say, the grassroots level, are kind of living with their dreams. And dreams are part of part of reality and part of what's going on. So, um, I would say.
say that, that, that in Christina, my impression is that at that more higher official level, there's not a whole lot of attention to applying discernment to dreams or talking mm-hmm. about dreams generally. But we have we don't know how widely, but it does seem that the more people at that kind of grassroots level within the Christian community are, are you know, they're dreaming, they're wondering about their dreams, they're trying to make sense of them on their own. So there's there there tends to be a general split. You know, you could probably look at it in, in you know, the United States more generally, not in a religious context, but you know, the people, you know, let's say politicians, you know, how many politicians pay attention to their dreams versus how many people at other levels of society? You know, yeah. I bet there's a big difference. And, and maybe it's because people who have social and political power, you know, they kind of, you know, again, it's a status quo issue. They like the way things are. They're not looking to, you know, necessarily for new perspectives or new ways mm-hmm. of looking at things. Mm-hmm. They kind of like things to stay with the way they are. So I, I, I guess I'd put it, the more, the more invested people are in kind of the waking world as it is, uh-huh. the less likely they probably are to pay attention to dreams. Right. And that's 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 I, that might not just be a Christian thing or a Muslim thing. I, I tend to think that's a broader kind of factor of human that's social. That's a human life. thing. Do you think that correlates to Ernest Hartman's idea of the thick boundaried and thin boundaried people? Yeah. 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 Ernest Hartman's work on on who have thicker in, interpersonal boundaries and boundaries around body and self and other and all sorts of things, gender. Um, yeah, I think that, that, that people who you know have a, a, a degree of power and authority are you know willing to thicken up those boundaries to preserve their. I mean, I'm being a little cynical here, of course, but mm-hmm. you know you see enough of this where you know the theologians. You know, say don't pay attention to dreams, and then the regular people are like, we want to, we want to learn about our dreams. But it makes you wonder, why is there that split? What's the, mm-hmm. why is there a difference? And it seems that yeah, something along the lines of, you know, people's boundaries and where they are, you know, in the world has some influence on it. Yeah, that does seem to be a, a. I mean, the other thing that occurs to me is that. I mean, I know people who have, uh, like a, my friend who's a rabbi, just is constantly on the go serving this person and that person, and it's very difficult when you have such an outward, sort of a service-oriented life to actually take the time to uh, remember a dream, yeah. m- much less work well, that's, on that's it. A, that's, a, that's a really important point, and, and you know, maybe you could help me think this one through, too, because it's... Uh, the impression I get is that, that, yeah, people, and maybe it's an introversion, extroversion thing, you uh, know, people yeah. who, well, I've, I've done some interviews and such with people who are <clears throat> politically very liberal, uh, very active, very progressive in all sorts of ways that they look at the world, but they have no time for dreams, uh-huh. you know, dreaming. It, in fact, they think dreams are, are flaky. They're, they're some of the just critics of the whole, the whole subject. And then there are people I've met who are, you know, virtually fundamentalist Christians, you know, who are very um, strict in their views of moral right, wrong, and, and things like that, but who are really open to talking about dreams, you know. And so it, it, there it, it seems like maybe the, the, the factor is, you know, how, how comfortable are people with their inner lives and yes. with other people's inner lives. And if you're, you know, probably the, the most skeptical person I ever met was, uh, you know, super left-wing uh, kind of Marxist guy, you know, mm-hmm. who, who was like a labor union organizer and, you know, hated President Bush and hated religious fundamentalists. But he himself had, as far as I could tell, no interest whatsoever in his own inner life or in anybody else's inner life. It was all in that kind of external social service realm, like yes. you say. So that's, that's, that's a really interesting phenomenon. I don't quite know what to make of. Well, uh, he's, that sounds like a real rationalist. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, there's a ration, rational extrovert. <laughs> exactly. Probably, you know. uh, least likely people to, 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 to think much of much of dreams. And they, I mean, they're plagued with the, the as strong, if not a stronger, internal critic and a censor as, as anybody in a fundamentalist religion. There's just right. certain, exactly. you know, it's... Have language or, or right. concepts to really reflect on that themselves. They're sort of, I mean, my sense is they're kind of 
subject to that without having, you know, a, awareness that it's that no, that's that's your perspective. That's not a fixed, immutable right. part of part of reality. So. It's just substituting ideology for theology. Yeah, and and the the ultimate irony is, you know, the the more we learn about how the the mind works, and you know, our ideas of what what is it to be a a rational uh, reasoning being, you know, the more we learn about that, the more we realize the unconscious and and dreamlike phenomena are, you know, woven throughout our our, our you know quote unquote high order mm-hmm. mental abilities. So mm-hmm. you know, people who have and there's been a lot of research showing that people who have damage in parts of the brain that that involves kind of emotional processing. Uh, they're they're not very functional. You know, you can't be a pure reasoning being. That's that's not being human. Uh, to be human and to be a rational human depends on a well-working, you know, mind overall that includes emotions, that includes intuition, that includes dreaming. Uh, but that's that's a you know, wow, we're getting into big, <laughs> big, big philosophical issues here with that. Well, I mean, dreams just sort of, you know, you go down the rabbit hole as soon as you start talking about dreams in any way, as yeah, far as yeah, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that really fascinates me, going back to, to the Muslim dream traditions, I, uh-huh. I haven't read too much of this, but I do have the book on my shelf, therefore I can, uh, it, it's the uh, early Muslim uh, tradition of dream interpretation. Yeah, 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 John. Lemoreau. Yes, uh, exactly. And yeah. and one of the things that he wrote that so fascinated me is that uh, apparently there's all of these scrolls and manuscripts from the 12th century or 13th century yeah. that are all uh, that are in Arabic that are all concerned with dream interpretation. Yeah, well that's yeah, he uh, uh John Lemoreau's book came out Five, six years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little longer. Yeah, back. it was in the. Um, it was anyway, in the yeah, a, a yeah. study of the genre of of dream interpretation manuals in that kind of golden era of Muslim culture. There was a time mm-hmm. after after Muhammad's uh, uh, after Muhammad died, his Islam spread very quickly. I mean, it had just spectacular military success for the first couple of centuries after uh, Muhammad's death, and from about the 9th to 13th centuries uh, Western time, there was this, you know, they, they had this huge empire and, and just an incredible cultural and, and scientific renaissance, really, like a true yes. golden age, uh, where they were, they, they actually translated a lot of the ancient Greek and Roman texts. You know, that's how we, Aristotle and, and, and a lot of other uh, uh, Greek philosophers were preserved for, Renaissance people in Europe later to, to, to you know quote unquote discover them again, uh, and 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 part of that Muslim golden era was uh, close attention to dreams. Dreams was a dreams were a you know a part of the conversation, and there is a, a kind of a lineage of, of books written by uh, Ibn Sirin is the, uh-huh. the the name that was attached to these books. We don't really know if there ever was an Ibn Sirin, and he certainly wasn't writing hundreds of books over, you know, several centuries, but his name was attached to many of these books that were, that were kind of, well, they were, they were self-help books, they were, they were mystical texts, they were uh, reflections on, on Muslim theology, they're really fascinating works, and, and, and what they show is, you know, in a funny way, even though it's in this monotheistic context, a, a, a very pluralistic spirit, where they were drawing upon the teachings of the Greeks and the the pre-Muslim Arabs and the you know the the the, the Hindus you know and drawing all these different uh, uh, ideas about dreaming and and, and mysticism and, and how the mind works. Um, so yeah, between between the ninth and thirteenth centuries, the Muslim uh, uh, scholars, philosophers, uh, just 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 made enormous uh, uh, progress. You know, in some ways more than than, than Christians ever did, even mm-hmm. up to modern times. I mean, there's a real flowering of um, insight and scholarship around dreams in that, in that period of, of uh, Muslim history where they, you know, they, they thoroughly integrated dream experience into their religious vision of what, what you know, human life can become. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very exciting material. Very, very uh, abstruse and kind of, you know, 
ancient written in other languages. We need other people's help to, to right. figure it out. But uh, yeah, wonderful material. In so, in uh, do you know of anybody that's translating that into uh, you know more modern languages or? Yeah, well, synchronistically enough, uh, just before I called you, I'm, I was working on a, 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 the reviewing a dissertation proposal of a, a gentleman named um, Malik Yamani, who's a, a Muslim. Uh, he's in, I think he's in Dubai right now. But anyway, he's doing a, a, a doctoral program. Oh, hello? Oh, yes, I'm here. Okay, I just yeah. heard a weird beep. Oh. Um, uh, he's doing a doctoral project at California Institute of Integral Studies on the experience of, um, uh, not the experience, the, 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 the ancient texts around dreams in the Muslim context. And he knows the language. He knows all these texts. You know, I've, I've visited his house. He's got, like, these wonderful leather-bound uh, original Arabic versions of them. Oh my goodness! Uh, so yes, yeah, so actually, um, we're hoping that uh, Malik's work is going to be a, uh, you know, moving in that direction, like you say. Wow, that is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So give it a year or two and excellent. Have it. Well, that's great news. I, I'm wondering too uh, whether the uh, gentleman from the panel who came from Turkey and Malaysia was there any? Um, did they cite? any of that stuff, or were they mostly looking at current uh, Islamic uh, dream traditions? Uh, actually, they, they, they cited that, that material quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the, the foundational material that they, they draw on, along with the, the, the Quran and the, the, the Hadith. So no, that's a, that's a, a, a cherished part of Muslim okay. scholarship, is that the, the, the works that came out of that, that period of time. Now, it's it's a point of some debate and consternation within the Muslim community is you know well why why were we so smart and why was it all so golden back then and why isn't it now and what can we do about that um, but there is a, a sense put it this way the, the the Muslims never really had a a dark ages like uh -huh. Western civilization did where there's kind of this rupture or discontinuity right. between phases and, and, and traditions of learning, and, and so they have a bit more continuity between their, you know, sort of classic uh, heritage and their their present uh, their present thinking. Uh, you know, I'm remembering uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson did this wonderful uh, video presentation of the history of mathematics probably about three years ago, and in it he talks about this golden age of yeah. Islam and that the, 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 what defined it, its end in, as far as science and astronomy and math, I mean, algebra is Arabic, yeah. you know, yeah, all exactly. these types of math were just, it, it, everything was flourishing from science to philosophy and, and dreams. And um, some, I can't remember who the, the big, the, you know, cleric was that declared science against God. Science, somehow a certain, if you, if you in, uh, made an inquiry into certain things about the nature of the universe, that was going against God, that was doubting God. And really, it just sort of put the kibosh yeah. on all of this, um, just a wonderful curiosity and research. And I think to me, that's one of the most worrisome things about the rise of Christian fundamentalism today in this country is the anti-intellectualism, that the, the anti-science, uh, you know, because I just, I, it's not that far away, you, you know, that, that whole, we're, we're talking about the diminishment of, and I guess I get, I'm getting kind of political, but, it yeah, all, that's okay. you know, it all does seem to be related, as you say, there's, the diminishment of math and science capability in our kids is directly related to the lack of emphasis on education. And, you know, once you start saying God says this and it's, it's written in stone and you can't go against it and you get into this literalist kind of fundamental mindset, your, your culture sort of shrivels. Yeah. Well, that, I think that's, that's exactly what Islam has struggled with and what you know, Christianity has struggled with, and Hinduism has its own version of that. Right. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of traditions uh, really struggle with the need to keep growing, keep 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 expanding and developing, and uh, and and allowing 
free inquiry and free reflection. You know, and, that, and in, in some ways, that's you know one of the one of the wonderful things I think about about human dream experiences. That it's you know again, it's always pushing us beyond what we think we know to you know show us and get us to look at things that maybe we don't know or we don't understand or we right. hadn't thought was were possible or were you know worth worth looking at. So that's that's yeah, I think that's a that's a uh, you're getting into the human condition here, and 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 you know it is a worrisome thing when we when we hear similar kinds of um, we see similar kinds of things happening in the contemporary yeah. American setting around science and around knowledge and, and and free inquiry. It is very troubling, and it can happen very quickly. You know, it very quickly those changes. Well, and I think that is one of the huge benefits that you're you're creating for everybody, really, which is to bring the conversation in a really respectful tone to uh, open it up to all different religions. And, I mean, who else would... Well, obviously, there were three of you doing this book on uh, Christianity and Islam, but the more that we can open up the forum... Yeah. And involve people in conversation, and and not get into the kind of proselytizing that I was just doing. <laughs> you know? no, no, but it, it, you know, people, everyone needs to, to 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 share their views. That there's there's a difference between you know sharing your view and, and sharing your view and shutting down other people's views. Right. That's that's there's there's a big divide between that. And, that's right. And you know, I, I mean, I go back sometimes to. Uh, that I read in graduate school that had such an influence on me, which is uh, Charlotte Barat's The Third Reich of Dreams. Uh-huh. That? No, I've never... The book that was written in the, the 1960s by a woman who gathered several hundred dreams from uh, people living in Nazi Germany from 1933 to 1939. Oh, I did hear about this book. And, and the book shows how people's dreams were really influenced by the rising kind of social oppression that was that was um you know they were suffering and 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 it really you know always gave me his you know ever since it's given give me the sense that you know dreams can be very powerful they can be insightful but they're they're also you know a little sensitive and fragile and and if the if the the, the external social environment becomes sufficiently toxic and and and, and oppressive um it it can disrupt people's abilities to so yeah. there's a real there's a real important kind of I don't know what we want to call it kind of a a cultural ecosystem that we need to keep healthy between you know dreaming and and and, and free expression and kind of a pluralistic uh, uh, way of looking at things that, that, that if we if we disrupt that we, we we do all sorts of damage to to you know, society generally and to each each individual. And that is a really strong argument for uh, not going just to an interior world when we look at dreams. You know, I, I think we actually do need to, to open it up and look at the social layer of content in a dream and say, well, how much does this have to do with the fact that I don't feel free to speak my mind at work yeah. or at school or yeah. wherever? Well, that's, I mean, and just to throw in a, a little plug for uh, a project I'm working on. I mean, I've got a, a website uh, that I'm ministering called idreamofobama.com yes, great. Uh, gathering and posting dreams people have about the current U.S. president, uh, you know, as a way of kind of showing just just what you're saying, that, you know, dreams have these multiple levels of significance. And, you know, if you have a dream of the president, well, maybe it's about the inner president, the inner president part of you, but it might also be about the president and what right. he's doing and what he's trying to do and um, so yeah, that I think that, that that that's been a that's sort of where the, the grassroots dream movement, as you as you mentioned it, uh, you know we can we can make a lot of uh, good progress by helping people see that dreams are you know profoundly insightful in terms of our, our personal lives and our growth and our spiritual development and all that. At the same time, they also have potential insights to offer about collective life and and, and what's going on. In our neighborhoods, our communities, our the world, you know, and that's so that's right. that's to, to to help open up, you know, people's perspective to those multiple possibilities. I think is a real, you know, we can do a lot of a lot of good things if we can help help 
that process. Well, absolutely, and just no matter what you know or think you know about dreams, there is undoubtedly ten times more to it than what you... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's job security for us, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 there's just, there's, there's, you know, just when you think you've gotten to a point where it's like, oh, that's all there is in there. Nope, no, there's probably something else. Yeah. You know, this is reminding me, it's kind of getting me on the the notion of evolutionary dreaming. This idea that, uh, uh, wasn't it Ferenzi who said that dreams are the workshop of evolution? Exactly. And yeah. in my more cynical moments, I think, no, dreams are just the workshop of not letting us backslide much. <laughs> <laughs> where, do you, where, do, where do you register on that? Yeah, um, well, there, there's, there's quite a long debate about our, you know, our dreams, evolutionary adaptations do they somehow help our survival and fitness and reproductive success et cetera et cetera or are they just you know uh, byproducts are they just kind of the you know the they are adaptations themselves but but sort of the outgrowth of something that really is an adaptation and i that, that gets a little theological for me at a certain level i'm, I'm, I'm not right. quite sure how to address that but it's certainly put it, put it this way i think that that the fact that all humans dream, and that 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 we spend so much of our our lives in a, you know asleep and in a dreaming space. It it certainly seems like that must be doing something really helpful for us. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people who didn't do it and were able to, to to you know people who never dreamed and never had to sleep, they would have you know succeeded and gotten rid of the rest of us, right? Yes. So there's something, there's something I think vital to our evolved nature about the sleep and dreaming process. And, you know, it, it gets so hard to talk about evolution in connection with human consciousness because the very emergence of human consciousness into the world suddenly changes, I think, the whole complexion of what evolution is because now it's no longer just haphazard, random mutations and lots of time and survival of the fittest, now we're aware. We're consciously directing our development. We're choosing to do certain things and not do other things. And, and, and that's true with dreams. You know, dreams suddenly become part of human consciousness and awareness and the way we, we interact with the world and the decisions we make. And so it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much, it's, put it this way, it's difficult to determine whether or not, uh, you know, dreams are, dreaming is an evolutionary process, but it, it's certainly the case that dreaming has become part of where human consciousness is evolving from this point forward. Right. In other words, human consciousness seems to be creating a whole new chapter in, you know, the grand drama of evolution, and to understand what want to do and where we want to go, dreaming is, 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 you know, woven into that and seems to have some energies and some, some, uh, uh, I don't know, almost, almost purposes that, 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 that maybe we do need to pay attention to as we grow as a species. Right. Well, and I think, you know, my bottom line is that I'd much rather talk about, uh, dreams as an evolutionary force than, uh, dreams as, uh, prophecies of apocalypse sure <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I mean, well no no doubt and, and and you know when we when we learn how uh how to understand what our our cats and dogs and other mammalian uh, friends uh are doing in their sleep then 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 maybe we'll have more to say about the, right. the evolutionary nature of, of dreaming at this point we're just uh just stuck with the human perspective but maybe that'll maybe that'll change too well, there's only so much you can cover in an hour conversation, but I feel like we, we actually covered some ground. <laughs> Kelly Bulkley uh, from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, um, thank you so much for showing up on the show. I really appreciate talking to you and, and your time this morning. Oh, great, great conversation. I hope, uh, hope your, your listeners enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure they will. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. And that was Kelly Bulkley from uh, kellybulkley.com, K-E-L-L-Y-B-U-L.
L-K-E-L-E-Y.com. And as he mentioned, if you have dreams that have President Obama in them, go to idreamofobama.com and turn them in. No matter what the content is of the dream, uh, I think it's great that he's collecting those. And I think you know, the idea that our dreams not only mirror but uh, can predict the the uh, cultural zeitgeist is is really a fascinating subject and the more data of course that Kelly and his associates have uh, the more the greater the ability to sort of draw conclusions or at least draw comparisons in how people are feeling about uh, the country and themselves. So that has been Dream Talk Radio for today. I'm your host, Ann Hill. And if you missed part of today's show, you can always go to my website, annhill.org. That's A-N-N-E-H-I-L-L.org. And pick up the podcast. Um, this one will be up probably a little bit later this week. You are listening to KOWS LP Occidental. And I will see you again next week. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Ann Hill, and I'll see you again next week.